Our students come to us with a multitude of needs, and as the adults in their lives, we do our best to take care of them and guide them through their formative years. However, it is especially important that we pay attention to how we create these inclusive spaces so that all students and all of our colleagues feel safe to be their most authentic self, because that's how we all shine. And as educators, we get to foster that safety, but sometimes it's not always easy. So my guest today will share his journey of his becoming, teach us about how he creates open and safe spaces for all of his students, and then he'll guide us into how we can truly be inclusive in the work that we do within our communities. And if you're enjoying this podcast and want to learn more about how to integrate empowered educator strategies into your life, check out Break Time in the resources page of empowerededucator.com. Break Time gives you the support that you need to feel empowered every day. Remember all the passion and vision you had when you first went into teaching? Feeling like building young minds and creating community through your work would make a lasting impact on this world? Well, those days may feel like they're behind you now because you're exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed and frustrated, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, the love of teaching never really went away, but it absolutely needs transformation. Welcome to the Take Notes Podcast. I'm Jen Rafferty, former music teacher, mom of two, and certified emotional intelligence practitioner, and I'm here to light the way for you. In order to create a generational change for our kids, we need to shift the paradigm away from the perpetual stress and overwhelm and into a life of joy and fulfillment. This is Education 2.0, where you become the priority, shift how you live your life, and how you show up both at work and at home. So take a sip of steamy morning coffee and grab your notebook. It's time to take notes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Take Notes. I am so excited to introduce our guest for today. This person and I have been kind of living these very parallel lives, having so many mutual friends and coworkers in common. And you are going to be witnessing the first time our paths have actually crossed (laughs) and our very first conversation. So excited to share it with you. So Eric Williamson is a former conductor with the Grammy award-winning Brooklyn Youth Chorus and a music teacher at PS32 in Brooklyn and is no stranger to cultivating communities of belonging for LGBTQ youth. He has led and facilitated several workshops and conversations with parents and teachers on topics regarding race, anti-racism, sexuality, identity, and culturally responsive teaching. And he recently joined the national facilitation team of the Human Rights Campaign Welcoming Schools Program, the nation's largest bullying prevention and LGBTQ plus inclusive education initiative. Eric, hello. Hey. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Tenant for an empowered educator is all about reflective practices and uncovering hidden biases and beliefs and how that affects our teaching. And you were just the perfect person to come on here and talk about this. I'm so honored. Thank you so much for having me and reaching out. And yeah, thanks for all that you do too. So much great energy right now. So let's keep it rolling with this great energy and tell us, please, a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now regarding your plight for creating safe spaces in schools. Absolutely. So I was born and raised in Teaneck, New Jersey, which is a suburb in North Jersey, 10 minutes outside of the city. And 
Growing up, I've always loved music. I loved singing. I loved instruments. But when I got to college, I had no idea what I was doing with my life. <laughs> like, absolutely no idea. I was like, maybe I'll do musical theater. Then I was like, mm, maybe I'll do psychology. I like people. I like talking, but also love performing. And so I went to Penn State for my undergrad. And day one at Penn State, this massive campus, predominantly white campus, over 40,000 students, only 2,000 of them were black and brown, which is terrifying. But the first day I was like, you know what? I'm going to the music building. And so the first day I went to the music building, I hopped on a bus. I got there and I saw that there was auditions for choirs. And I was like, well, I like to sing. I always sing. So I might as well sign up for a choir. That sounds familiar. And I saw this choir called Essence of Joy. And it said, uh, with Music 93, it says, this choir sings music of the African and African-American sacred and secular traditions. I was like, well, I'm African-American and I sing in church. This sounds like me. I should sign up. And so day one of auditions, in comes this Black queer man, Dr. Anthony Tony Leach, who is a director of that choir and the founder of that choir at Penn State. And I got into the choir and this man single-handedly changed my life without fail. Like his representation as an out Black queer person who also is in church and academia and navigating a predominantly white space in excellence. I mean, he really just, he's, he's my current mentor now. And while I was at Penn State, I was still DL, so I was not coming out. I wasn't really talking to anyone. He was the first person that like saw me and I was able to have conversations about my identity with him. He's also the one that encouraged me to become a music education major because I was like, well, Dr. Leach, I don't know what I'm doing. I like music. I like people. He was like, why are you not a music teacher? I was like, wait, I can do that? <laughs> like, that's the thing that I can do, which sounds so like silly saying it out loud because I know I was born to do this, but like, Young me, I had no idea what was possible. And I also had a trash high school music teacher. So another conversation. But he was like, you can do this. And I was like, well, I've never had a voice lesson before. I like singing, but I'm not classically trained. So he like hooked me up with an alumni of the choir to take voice lessons. I auditioned. I got into the School of Music. I didn't graduate with an ed degree because it was too expensive. So I graduated with a performance degree. And immediately after I graduated Penn State, I started working at Brooklyn Youth Chorus, which is where I've been the past seven years. I knew I wanted to teach and I knew I wanted to be in a place that would fill in the gaps of being an educator from the non-teaching side. That's like administration. That's like building community with principals and like learning schools. And so through Brooklyn Youth Chorus, I was able to be at several different schools at a time as a teaching artist. And that led to me being director of the school outreach program and conducting many after-school choirs. It was amazing and wonderful. And then I went to teacher's college to get my master's degree. And during that time, I was able to meet some fantastic people while also continuing my work with Brooklyn Youth Chorus. And once I graduated from TC, it's actually through my connections with Brooklyn Youth Chorus and the New York City school system that I was able to land my current job, which is PS32. I heard about it through one of the principals I worked under through Brooklyn Youth Chorus. She was like, Denise, you need to be doing this over here. And the rest is history. But having someone as a mentor that looks like you, that shares parts of your identity, when they say representation is everything, that's what it means. Like I'm the byproduct of that. And so I knew once I went into the classroom, I wanted to be the person that I didn't have. I wanted to be like Dr. Leach. I wanted to be out with my students 
I wanted to encourage those conversations about identity, about sexuality in a safe way that promoted love, that promoted truth, that promoted honesty, that promoted safety, that promoted belonging, because that's what I got. At Penn State, I was able to find this Black queer man who was able to do that for me. And I was like, wow, I want to do this for elementary age students. And I knew that early on that that was the age group I wanted to work with. At Brooklyn Youth Courts, I started with middle and high school. And I was like, you know, I can do this in my sleep. I can do this at any given moment. But like, The need is really at elementary. When we think about what kids think about as their formative childhood experiences that like lead into adulthood, a lot of them can refer back to elementary school, the good, the bad, and the ugly. When I think about my identity being closeted for so many years, like elementary school was a main reason why I remained closeted and didn't want to talk about my identity. I had very traumatizing and harmful experiences as a young child in school specifically. And I knew that as I became an educator, I wanted to prevent that as much as possible for other children who have similar experience where they have questions about their identity or they want to try something or they want to talk to an adult. I wanted to ensure that I was that person wherever space that I inhabited to support young people. So yeah, that's how I got here. Thinking about my personal experiences first, starting with me, starting about what did I need to thrive, not just to flourish, but to thrive. What would have my life been had I had these things in place or had I been able to talk about what I was feeling or experiencing from the inside and out? So yeah, I'm, I'm just grateful that I'm in this position now to do this work, but it's been a long journey of again, to your, using your word, self-reflection um, and thinking about what is my place in the world? What do I want to do? What stones have I not turned over that I need to reconcile and deal with? before I take on the important, essential job of being a teacher of young minds. Wow. So there's so much juicy stuff in there. (laughs) We love the juice. Uh, I love the juice. I will, I guess, start with the last thing, the last piece that you said, because I think that's a good place to go. You talked about no stone left unturned. And Right before we we got on the live with this podcast, you know, we talked about how that piece of self-reflection and personal development is a missing piece in a lot of the education for teachers about this and training isn't there. You know, when we get to this space, I've heard a lot of times it's like, well, we're not we're not therapists. We're not school social workers. No, no, we're not. But we are very much human. (laughs) And, And these things that we're talking about right now seem foreign because we've never done them before that hasn't been part of our tradition, but we're actually not moving into spaces that we don't already inhabit. We're actually able to see a little bit more clearly. Yes. Can you talk about some of the things that you've encountered along the way, either resistance, which I I love, I love some good resistance when I can really talk to someone about that. Maybe we'll start there. What are some of the resistance that, that comes up and how do you navigate that to create safety to have these conversations in the first place? Yeah, I, I love this question so much. So for me, I'm always navigating two major identities that I consider to be very front facing. And for me, it's my blackness and my queerness. And no matter what space I'm in, I'm automatically by default in opposition to dominant culture. So I'm always in opposition for being a black person. I'm always in opposition for being a queer person. So I really just hit the ground running every time. And I always, unfortunately, 
I spent a lot of years always being on the defense for those two things. If I'm in a predominantly white space, I'm already on the defense for being black. If I'm in a predominantly black space, I'm on a defense for being queer. So just thinking about instead of having the mindset of being on the defense, I switch my perspective to being joyful about who I am and not apologizing about it and not worrying about like, am I going to be received by people because I am Black or because I'm queer? But now my mindset is, you're welcome. I'm here. And like, let's have a conversation about it. You're welcome because I'm doing you a favor by being here. And so it took like a lot of years of therapy and building up my confidence to shift that mindset of like, you know what? Sure. I, people who are black and people who are queer are victims of society, but like, I'm not choosing into that narrative. I am choosing into the narrative of I'm a victor. I'm an overcomer. I am resilient. I'm standing. I am an overcomer. People have so much to learn from me and I have so much more to share. So it really is about shifting the mindset from victim to victor and being able to share and learn from each other because the world is missing out on so much if we don't allow ourselves to be in spaces that don't look like us or may not receive us, like leaning into the conflict or the uncomfortable situation. And, you know, with this new mindset that I have, I feel like I've been able to be in community with people and grow together. My motto is stronger together. And society's unable to progress if we don't allow that conflict and that learning and the misunderstandings to happen. And I know not everyone is built for it. I know that for me, that is part of my purpose to kind of be a disruptor. People been Black, people been gay. We're here. Let's talk about it. Because again, thinking about children, these are the lives that they are living and they need advocates in their corner to rally for them, to advocate for them, to fight for them, to stand up for them. I want to know, how do you personally, because this is something that I'm continuing to work on and I learn and I grow and I make mistakes and I do it again. How do you create safe spaces to have those conversations where you can tell people those narratives are choices and you have an opportunity to see exactly what's in front of you from a different perspective that allows you to be the victor instead of the victim? So I think it's, it's a few things. I think one it's really about cultivating community first. And I think no space is safe if there's no community because we feel safe. People feel safe when they're at home. And I use that term loosely. They feel safe around trusted loved ones. So it's really about developing trust and cultivating a sense of community because community is not just a physical space per se. And we learned that through the pandemic, a lot of us have been able to cultivate these virtual communities where you can gather in affinity spaces or not affinity spaces and just feel safe to share, to be yourself, to let your hair down, to not have the white gaze of society filtering through your every word. So it's really about thinking about how can you develop trust amongst each other? And and that's a really nuanced, difficult thing when you're thinking about negotiating your different identities, whether it's gender, sexuality, or race, like a lot of us feel safe around different things. And it takes a lot of time and extra work to foster that sense of security when people are navigating multiple identities all the time. There's no real one answer, but what I do know to be a fact is how can you cultivate that community and build trust amongst each other when so much of that is missing in our world today? 
So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you're right. Sometimes it's uncharted territory for a lot of these spaces to even go there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you said creating a community of trust, which inherently can create safety. And the work that I'm doing in trauma-informed practices, when we talk about trauma-informed practices, it's not like this big T trauma all the time. Mm -hmm. This is really trauma-informed practices is just about creating safety. And because at the end of the day, we all have trauma. I mean, yeah, no, it's right. You know, it's either big T trauma or little T trauma. This isn't, you know, a hierarchy of struggling here. We all have Mm -hmm. struggle. We all have pain. And in my world too, I joke, everything's a trauma response, right? We're all, we're all kind of bumping up against our trauma responses. Mm -hmm. Always, always, all the triggers all the time. Right. (laughs) right. That's just, just part of being human, you know? Mm -hmm. So first of all, having this greater understanding that that's the case and then creating steps to make spaces safe for these conversations to even take place. So can you speak on on an example of how to do that? Because before I'm going to have you answer this, I just want to be clear too, is that we talked about this before and for everyone who's listening, who knows about empowered educator work is that until the adults become comfortable enough with themselves in this kind of work, nothing changes. So it doesn't matter what kind of culturally responsive teaching initiative or SEL initiative you have for the kids. If you are not actively being reflective in this work, it's never going to work. So how do we create, or maybe what are some strategies or some things that you've done with your work in this arena to facilitate some of these safe spaces? So I have a short answer, but it's very complicated (laughs) to your point of of like you have to do the internal work just do it it's literally that simple but what's complicated about it is you have to do that work on the inside because it takes courage it takes it means taking risk it means putting yourself on the front line of defense and these are all things that i do whenever i just do it and when it comes to having conversations about sexuality or about race and racism, I just say things out loud. And by me doing that, it disrupts this whole narrative of one, these are things that you can't talk about in school. It disrupts the narrative of you can't say this to small children. And it also allows kids to talk about it in a safe space with an adult that's giving them permission to ask the questions and have the conversations. So even though the answer just do it is simple, there's a lot of work I had to get to having that conversation. So I'll give you an an example is like, whenever I share my sexual orientation with my students and I've done this, I share it with my kindergartners all the way up to fifth grade. I teach pre-K to fifth grade. And like, I have the identity conversation all the time. I have taught a lesson on personal pronouns to my first graders using a little song. But all of that, I had to kind of move my ego out of the way in order for that learning and that safety to happen for my students, because it's not about me. For some students, hearing about personal pronouns is like life or death. Unfortunately, in our country, there's like the suicide rates for LGBTQ plus children is so high and little things like affirming pronouns affirming names that our students want to go by, it is life or death. So I always have that in the back of my mind when I'm taught sharing my identity. It's like, it's not about me. 
And like, yes, it is very uncomfortable. It's terrifying every time I have to do it. But I've also done, you know, work on my own to feel confident each time I do it and to feel less fear. Does it, will I always feel some level of fear? Sure. But does it get easier each time? Yes. So to answer your question, like it really is just about doing the things and saying things out loud, especially the things that we're most nervous to say about loud. Like for me, another personal motto I have is if I have fear about saying or doing it, it means I need to do it. Mm. So I've been leaning into the uncomfortable, leaning into the fear and just allowing myself to be because that's what our students deserve and that's what they want to do. But they don't necessarily have permission yet. So it's up to the adults in charge, us. We have to do that work so they can feel free to do things and to say things out loud and not feel like they're wrong or that they're going to get in trouble. This is another thing about when kids say something that could come off as bullying. I always feel like that is a child's sincere cry to either want to talk about it, want to learn more about it, or they're in a hate-filled space where this response is taught. There's a whole lot of stuff under that that we have to pull out and again, move ego out the way because it's never about us. It's never about our feelings being hurt. It's really about what's the root of what this child is saying? What do they really need? So again, just do it. Have the conversation. So the things that you're saying are so aligned. I say that about fear all the time. It's a green light, unless it's fear about touching a hot stove, which is danger, which is different. Fear is a green light and that's biology. And I'm not going to get into that right now, but that's, that's what happens when you're doing something uncomfortable. Your system doesn't think you're safe. So there's going to be fear involved with that. But the dropping of the ego, that's something that we also have to learn through work, either through coaching or through therapy. And, and the truth is you don't think twice when someone's like, I really want to get in shape and join a gym. But we have this idea that something really big needs to happen in order to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Or therapy is some sort of weakness. But yes. I say, you can't read the label from inside the wine bottle. <laughs> That's right. So That's good. <laughs> you just you need someone there to just reflect back at you. Otherwise, you you can't you literally can't see because our blind spots are huge. And again, part of that is safety because our ego doesn't want to be wrong. Our yep. ego wants to be right. And if yep. we're wrong, what does that mean about us? What does that mean about yes. our identity? And there's all of this stuff that's in there. And it doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you can't or you shouldn't. All it means is that you have an opportunity, again, switching that mindset to talk with somebody to untangle those things and turn over those stones. Yes. Bury that. Very that. And I also wanted to mention that, like, I am kind of speaking from a biased perspective in that I work in Brooklyn, New York. I have a very liberal principle that allows me to have these difficult conversations. So for anyone listening who is not in that kind of supportive environment that wants to engage in talking about, excuse me, sexuality or race or whatever different intersections of our identity, use your classroom, use after school programming. We can affect the school building a lot of times. We can affect the district. But when those doors are closed, you might have a little bit more flexibility to to do things. And I've also used SEL as like my like pass or gateway to like get more into talking about identity with kids and with myself. Also, after school programming is a different system. So like lean into those spaces to try to have those conversations with students. But I I did want to say out loud and acknowledge that I am in a more liberal environment. So I do have that flexibility. And one last thing I want to say 
is it's a lot easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. So another thing I don't really do is I don't really ask permission. I just ask for forgiveness. So I just wanted to say that out loud. Like, wait, I'm like, wait, I didn't know. I'm like, wow, I wasn't supposed to do that. I'm so sorry. Operated the same way throughout my entire history. We'll we'll spend a year asking for permission never to get an answer. Then the work never gets done. Whereas if we just do it and then see what happens, at least we did the thing that we wanted to do. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I'm glad that you said that because that was actually my next question about how, you know, you're in a space where you feel safe and supported to do these things. And so many teachers out there don't. What you're saying is is one avenue. But I also want to encourage, you know, folks who might be feeling this way is really take a look at your values and what you truly believe in your mission and your vision, because if it doesn't align with the place that you're at, you again have two choices. You can stay in victimhood and complain about it and say, I feel stuck. I don't know what to do. They're not letting me this and I can't do this. Or you always have a choice to leave. That's right. Right. Is it easy? No, it is not. It's not easy. But if it's a chance to do something that aligns with you, that can open doors to your ability to make massive impact on the kids that you want to reach, then it is in your best interest to go someplace that's going to be supportive of that. Yes. And I I will say I am very spiritual. I prayed for this school that I'm in now. And I, I want to encourage anyone who is like not sure which way to go. There is a school just for you. It exists. There is leadership that wants to nurture and support you, that aligns with your values, that aligns with what you want to do and how you want to give back and how you want to teach. But you have to have the courage to say out loud exactly what you want for it to happen, for it to come your way. Because I was very specific. I was like, I want to be under a black woman principal. I wrote it down as I want to be under a black auntie. I feel like black aunties will save the world. I want to be in Brooklyn. I want to be at a community school. And it, like everything was just like check, 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 check. That's the power that your perspective, that your energy, that your prayer, that your beliefs have. You have to have the courage to put it out there though. And I feel like a lot of us stop with not being specific about what we want. And then we don't get it. We complain and we're frustrated. But it's like, did you take the time to declare exactly what you want? You can't manifest it if it's not what you want. Did you ever say it out loud? Did you ever write it down? These are things I've done for myself. And I I have the receipts now to prove it for all the work that I'm doing. But like, it's that simple and that impactful. It's real. It really does happen. Like, I'm a witness. I'm right there with you. I am <laughs> drinking the same juice that you are. You know, the, there's there's so much to this, right? And I mean, we could go on forever talking about this. Maybe we might have to do this and I'll have you back. We'll talk about this. <laughs> um, first of all, it's an understanding of making it okay. And, and not just okay, but your right as a human being to want more. Yes. And to say, I desire something more and something else. That's the first piece of this, that you are, again, you don't have to to stay in this space just because this is the way it is. It's the way it is because that's the way you think it is. And and that's it. And focusing again, 
placing your focus and attention on what you want instead of what you don't want, which is also really tricky because uh-huh. brain works. Really being intentional on where you place your thoughts and your energy and your focus and attention is going to get you the things that align with what you want, which also takes some practice. But those receipts, I think between the two of us alone, we have huge yeah. <laughs> receipts. They're still stacking. Just doop, 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 doop. Yeah. So tell me, you know, in, in talking about alignment and just really living your purpose and your dream and, and truly, you know, what you said, what you were born to do, you landed yourself in this new position with welcoming schools. I want to know more about this because this was new to me and I want to know what the initiatives are and what is your role here? Yes. Oh, I am so blessed because I had no idea this existed. I knew about human rights campaign. I had no idea that there was an educational initiative nationwide that supports teachers in LGBTQ plus inclusions, elementary through high school, as well as bullying prevention through an anti-racist lens. So I just happened to meet the right people at the right time. I was recommended to apply for this program through a dear friend of mine, Dr. Kyra Hammond, who I met through a panel over the pandemic. Another person I've met in person, but she's like my dear sister. And she was running a panel for New York City teachers who are both Black and LGBTQ identities. Like, how does your positionality help serve schools. I never lost touch with her. She sent me an email the end of January. She was like, I saw this and this is you. Now, before this, before I heard about this, I just started really digging deep into teaching elementary school teachers and parents about how to affirm children's identities. Because at my at PS32, we have children who are expressing themselves as young as kindergarten, as trans and non-binary, and it's super duper wonderful. But there's resistance with anything that's new about like, how do we do this? And how do we have these conversations? And how do we support parents? For all of the first half of 2021, I was like looking up resources and figuring out ways to support parents and teachers and doing this because I have a unique lived experience as a queer person to help contribute a conversation, but I was still learning myself. And, you know, working out of elementary school, there was a lack of resources, so I thought, regarding how to teach kids about their identity. So what Welcoming School does, they do several things. They have book lists, they have lesson plans on how to teach kids about sexual identity, gender orientation, all of the things to support them in their learning in school. And they have six different modules that'll take teachers and educators through ways to ensure that one, their curriculum is being inclusive of students' identities, that the policies in their schools are also being clear about that, that teachers know how to navigate difficult conversations around gender and sexuality. Um, So it's really a holistic approach of how to support students who are LGBTQ identifying, but also prevent bias-based bullying with information. And it's it's a data-driven program. It's super functional for teachers because in every single workshop, you have an opportunity to practice talkbacks of how would you respond to this if a student says this in real time? How do you respond to this if a parent sends you this email? How do you respond to this if this difficult conversation comes up and you have to be a mediator and so on and so forth? 
So it is a nationwide initiative. It is supported by the government. It is data-driven instruction. It is functional. It's been just mind-blowing for me because as a person who was creating these workshops from scratch, here is a program that has, has existed for almost 10 years now that's been doing the same work that really provides a holistic way to support children in schools. So I can go on and on about welcoming schools, but like I recommend all schools to apply for a training. There are different 90-minute trainings that you can sign up for, but it is so worth it to just have the support of a national organization to do this work, especially for the states like Florida, like Texas, that have all this anti-gay legislation. Since we are a national nationwide organization, we can still engage in this work in those states. So just saying that out loud, um, I am a national facilitator. So I am one of the people going to schools around the country, both virtual and in person. So if you're listening to this and you feel like you need support, welcomingschools.org is the website. You can also find it on my website, ericwilliamson.org, to apply for a consultation and figure out which module best supports you. Again, this is elementary through high school, and we do cater every single training by age, by level. So like elementary has a different workshop than high school and middle school and so on and so forth. But to adapt to the communities that we're going to be serving. And the reason why it's so effective is that they are all run by current teachers. So every single facilitator is either a current teacher, a current administrator, or a current guidance counselor. Because teachers know teachers. We know what we need. We know what's missing. We know what's lacking. And we cater these workshops to serve those gaps. And kind of being biased, I've never experienced a professional learning series that allows teachers to try in the way that we get them to engage in these difficult conversations on the spot. And again, leaning into the uncomfortable, giving you tools and resources, because we have to stop hate when it happens. We can't just allow things to be said and not do anything about it. And what I appreciate about welcoming schools is it's very proactive and not reactive. It's all about like, when this is said, you get to say this. When this is done, you get to respond in this way. Um, When this policy in your school is passed, here's a way to navigate and negotiate that to ensure that your students and staff feel supported. So it really is a holistic way to just affirm identity. So yeah, that's welcoming schools. (laughs) Amazing. And all of those links and everything will be in the podcast notes. So everyone has super easy access to them and access to you as well. So the last question that I have for now, because we are having another conversation. (laughs) Um, What is your big dream for education? My dream for education is that all students, regardless of race, sexuality, gender identity, gender expression, can go to school and just be students. They don't have to worry about anything else. There is a liberation in learning. And unfortunately, right now in our society, there are many barriers to prevent students from liberated learning. So our students are able to come into school and just learn and experience the joy of learning. And they have no other responsibility but to be a student and to experience the joy of learning and for educators to also enter in educational spaces with the same feeling of joy and liberation to just be. 
So that is my vision, joy and liberated spaces for all. Yes. Yes to all of it. The reason why I ask this question to everyone who's on this podcast is exactly what you just said. If you don't say your dreams out loud, then how can they possibly come true? And it's my hope that when people listen to everyone's dreams collectively, we start to ascend into a place where these dreams start to come true and manifest. I believe that. I'm right there with you. Like we are stronger together and how powerful it is for us to share our dreams and our visioning together. There is no single dream. That is a lie. There are dreams with an S and we can all achieve it with each other's help. No one is by themselves. And I will end by saying this, a way for us to deconstruct white supremacy And those hateful ideals is for us to be in community together. Yes, yes. We have to do this work together. It it is not anyone by themselves in isolation. It is us rallying and being co-conspirators, doing this work together, rooted in love, proactive love that we will get through this. Yes. Yes. I'm done. done. I felt a spiral. I was like, let me not spiral because I can easily spiral and we have to respect the time. So I'm not going to spiral. No, I, I love every word. And like I said, this conversation is so not over. So for now, thank you for your time and your talents and the work that you are doing and the work that you are sharing. It is incredible. And I am humble that you wanted to hang out and spend some time with me today. And I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it again. Yay. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Mm, my pleasure. And if you like today's episode, make sure you subscribe and write a nice review and we'll see you next time. Bye. Incredible, right? Together, we can revolutionize the face of education. It's all possible. And it's all here for you right now. Let's keep the conversation going at Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook.